So this morning now uh, we have uh, a vintage lesson from John Wagner since it is his birthday today. So if you need any help, I'll, uh, okay. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. I try to slip through without anybody knowing those days, but sometimes there are stool pigeons out there that share information. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and open them up to the book of Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 20 and 21, just kind of revisit these two verses here before we move into chapter 6 next week. Paul, as he is discussing this aspect of, of life and death and law and grace, he comes to this conclusion here at the very ending of chapter 5 where he says in verse 20, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I ask myself a question sometimes, is competition a good thing or a bad thing? Is, is there something really to it? I mean, it's a question that has been debated through the years, and sometimes it seems more so today in our generation than maybe generations past. Some people, with all sincerity, they believe that competition is a bad thing. And so whenever there are social gatherings, whether it be with children or with adults, they try to have non-competitive games um, so that nobody um, gets their feelings hurt, uh, that in essence everybody gets the trophy kind of uh, thing we'd look at, and, and we don't want anybody to feel bad or feel inferior. So let's do away with these games that might cause that. Today some social scientists will also say that children should never be put in a situation where competition may cause some of them to lose and some to win or interject a grading system that's going to make some look better than others. And so some schools have even done away with their valedictorian program or their dean's list. It's just, you know, when you think about that, you, 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 you put competitive parameters on children because they say it may do irreparable harm if they're made to come out as a, quote, loser. I really don't know where you stand on this. And I know that the debate is everywhere it's up and down. But from my personal experience, in my vantage point, I think somewhat a little bit of competition is a good thing. Because from where I have grown in my understanding is the, comp the competition helps me improve myself to, to be better than where I was before. And sometimes we even compete against our own personal best and try to achieve even more than where we have been. Right now, we've got a competition going on in our sporting world. Last night, my wife and I got to go and enjoy a, a baseball game at, at, at Bush Stadium and hoping that Albert Pujols would play. The second game of a doubleheader, he wasn't in the lineup. But then, then they brought him out for a designated hit, and everybody, the whole stand, is, is everybody's up cheering and shouting and celebrating because this would be 699, and he's one away from 700. So we're all rooting him on. And is he the best baseball player out there that the world's ever seen? Well, that's been debatable. 
there's all these sporting issues that has had who is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. For example, let's, let's look at basketball. Would it be Michael Jordan or LeBron James? I mean, really, who, who's the best? If we put those two guys on and gave them a one-on-one, who would actually dominate the other, or would it be a tie? You know, who is the greatest? We can go from basketball and we can turn to golf. Of course, the question's going to be, is it Jack Nicklaus or is it going to be Tiger Woods? Oh, see, now see, somebody's already shouting their, their people who they believe it is, all right? So we, we want to know who's going to be the GOAT of all this. We can then go back to baseball. If it's not going to be Albert Pujols, then most likely it's going to be Babe Ruth or could it be Barry Bonds? Uh, oh, see, now see, I'm starting to touch some points here, aren't I? Yeah, we're, we're getting this debate going on. And, and we can't leave out soccer, right? Because it's going to be either Lionel Messi or Pele. Right? And I see some people shouting their heads, nodding. Yeah, there we go. All right, so we're, we're looking at all this. These are fighting words, aren't they? So we can't forget about boxing, right? So we've got to determine, is it going to be Muhammad Ali or Sugar Ray Robinson, right? Oh, there we go. See, now I've got you stirred up, don't I? Every society, every society is grounded on games and it's surrounded with them there's contest and venues in which there are winners and there are losers and and i've had my share of possessing a competitive spirit every now and then I, whether it's a card game or whether it's checkers or you know baseball or whatever i mean there, there's that part of who i am and and it's always there i mean most of us i think have won a contest or a door prize or a blue ribbon or a tournament or even a simple game of checkers Maybe. All right. I mean, we're not always losers. We do have something that's going to put us forward at times. I'll have to admit it. I like winning. (laughs) Who doesn't? Right? We like it when we win. Charles Schultz, in one of the comic strips that he was making of Peanuts, has this conversation going on between Charlie Brown and Linus. Charlie Brown makes a statement. He says, I've been going over our baseball statistics for this past year. Now, you have to understand, Charlie Brown's baseball team never won. (laughs) So why even go over your statistics, right? And he says, when I think of all those games we lost, I get sick. And Linus says, well, winning isn't everything, Charlie Brown. And Charlie responds, that's true, but losing isn't anything. (laughs) You know? It, it doesn't feel good. As years go by, and, and I think as the older I get, or maybe I should say the more mature I, I become, right, I've learned that the fact that winning isn't as important to me as it used to be. I mean, I can lose a lot of things, and it won't cause me to lose sleep over it. Unless I'm losing to my wife. And it just rubs right there. You know, I mean, that's just, that's who we are, right? She always seems to have bragging rights. Preach, <laughs> all right? Well, but, but there is one thing that I am determined to win at, and it's the game of life. Really, that's, that's I'm, I'm going to win at this game of life. So how does the game of life work? Who are the competitors? Well, as I understand it, you are a competitor, but so is death. Now, we've been studying in the book of Romans the past few months, um, and and there are two strategies that kind of appear in this game of life that are 
put forth as uh, options to play by. There's a strategy of law, or there's a strategy of grace. Two different philosophies all together on how you're going to play this game of life. And, and we've been noticing that Paul emphasis on law and grace as these two systems or plans by which the winner gets to enter into heaven by. So under the strategy of law, the rules are these. If you keep the commandments, you escape the penalty. If you break the commandments, you suffer the penalty. Under the strategy of grace, it's just the opposite. Matter of fact, if you keep the commandments, you're going to suffer the penalty. All right? Because you can't keep the commandments. But if you break the commandments under grace, somehow, by grace, you escape the penalty. And those are the only two choices that God has given us in this game of life to win against death. Now, I want you to consider this. First off, I think it's all about home field advantage that, that you get to choose. All right? The home field has a big vantage point here. You can choose uh, the, the law arena. And, and remember, the law arena gives death no matter what. All right? And, and that's your home field advantage. And, and, and you're on the away team. You're just not going to win. Death already has a leg up on you, and under the law system, you're facing the enemy on his own turf. The coach is Satan, and the cheerleaders are his demons, and they're making sure that you're going to lose no matter what happens in this. And every individual commandment is your law code and the rules of the game in which you're playing. And if you break just one of those rules of engagement, you lose. It doesn't matter if you step out of bounds, if you're doing encroachment, if you're holding, if you're whatever, if you commit a foul, any one of those laws that you break in this game, it's over. You've lost. Or you can choose the field of grace. And what a wonderful place this is because it gives you home field advantage. This is familiar turf for us. Hebrews 11 even indicates to us that we then have a group of cheerleaders urging us on to be victorious in this. And on the field of grace, if you break a rule or commit a foul or, or any one of these things, all of a sudden the substitute comes in for you, and it's Jesus Christ, and he finishes the game and wins. All right? So even if you mess up, he's going to take care of things. And grace wins every time. So here's your choice. How are you going to choose to play this game of life? How are you going to battle this opponent that is looking for your death? Now, under the terms of law and on death's home field where you'll never win, or under the terms of grace where there's no way that you can lose? I know what I'm going to choose. Well, let's talk about in the, in the law arena where death wins every time. The reference point that Paul is teaching here in our text is this word trespass there in verse 20 when he says, he says, now the law came in to increase the trespass. Trespass is not, you know, Mahomes throwing a 90-yarder. It's, it's not a pass. It is a breaking of the command. It is sin. 
He says, so where the law comes in, it comes in to increase sin. And so the purpose of that law, we have this added that the trespass might increase. But some people will say, but why does God give the law to Moses and the people so that we'll sin more? You know, we, we, we don't want to do that. But as a general rule, the more laws we have, the more opportunity we have to break them. And the more conscious awareness we have of what they are. As in any game, the more rules there are, the more possibilities of messing things up. My son, John David, is a, a developer, a creator of, of board games and card games and whatever. He just loves inventing games. That's, that's part of his passion. But if you talk to him, he will tell you that rules are the make or break of every game. Because within the rules, it sets boundaries by which you have to stay within. Or it gives freedoms and enables you to do things that maybe the others can't, that you're in competition with. So rules are very important. And, 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 and there are volumes of laws that are written in our American society that have been, active, have been enacted through the years that really when we read these laws, we go, well, that doesn't make any sense. And that, or that one is just utterly ridiculous, and it's foolish to even have that kind of law out there. So let me give you a few of these laws that, that are on our books. Well, first off, in, in Devon, Connecticut, it's unlawful to walk backwards after sunset. That's ridiculous. Or in Frankfort, Connecticut, it's against the law to shoot off a policeman's tie. I think a lot of policemen are probably happy that you're not doing that, but you can't shoot off his tie. All right, we can move on to the next, and we see that in Wilbur, Washington, it is illegal to ride an ugly horse. <laughs> now, is that subjective, or are there objective guidelines by that? Or we can go to Connecticut, where it is illegal to sell pickles unless they can bounce. All right, let's, let's little move a little bit closer to home. We can come into Memphis, Tennessee, and it's illegal for a woman to drive a car unless there is a man running or walking in front of it, waving a red flag to warn approaching motorists and pedestrians. <laughs> Men, your wives are always waiting for you to get in front of that car. I guarantee you. You pull that flag, she's going fast. All right? In Kansas City, Missouri, it is illegal for a child to go and purchase a cap pistol you know those little things that bang bang you know little make a little smoke and, and sound but they can freely buy a shotgun that makes no sense well let's take it to st louis now all right st louis we've got a few laws it's illegal to sit on the curb of any street and drink beer from a bucket <laughs> forget the bucket let's talk about milkmen it's illegal in St. Louis for a milkman while he's on duty to run. I don't know why. Glass bottles, maybe, I guess. All right, let's go on. In St. Louis, it's also illegal for an on-duty firefighter to rescue a woman wearing a nightgown. In order to be rescued, a woman must be fully dressed. And there's got to be a reason for this one in Natchez, Missouri, because it's illegal to provide beer or other intoxicants to elephants. I venture to think a circus came in town and somebody got the elephant drunk. What do you think? All right. But this, is, this one tops them all. You ready? In Nicholas County, West Virginia, no member of the clergy is allowed to tell jokes or humorous stories from the pulpit during a church service. Oh, yeah, I'm in trouble. 
So, how does the law of Moses figure into God's plan? Did God add this law just to, to make it harder for people to stay in the, on the right path? And, and if that's the case, that, to me it sounds kind of cruel that God would do that to us. But the point is here is something else. You see, God gave the law, all laws, but especially the law of Moses, not to increase sin itself, but to increase as well the awareness of sin and the consciousness of the power of sin and the seriousness of sin and the sinful condition that is brought onto the world by one Adam's trespass and then our trespasses as a result. So the law serves this way. It serves to magnify the reality of sin and to intensify our awareness of it and the hopeless struggle we have against it. Verse 21 of Romans 5 tells us that sin reigned in death. Sin wins. Death wins. We die. And in playing this game of life on death's home field advantage in the law arena, it's it's like you just can't beat it. It's like the 1992 USA Dream Team in basketball, man. Can you imagine playing against some of these guys like, like Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Charles Barkley? I mean, this, this whole crew of fellas, uh, David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, I mean, these guys were, were monsters in their game. And, and there's no way that I could assemble a team that would beat them, and the world couldn't either. Man, they were ultimate at what they did. Sin is ultimate at what it does. And we cannot defeat it on our own, no matter what we try. So, the point here is that the law serves to magnify the reality of sin and ultimately it intensifies man's sense of hopelessness as he struggles to keep it, knowing it is futile and he can't. And finally, that sense of hopelessness overwhelms us to where we have organizations that are trying to prevent suicide because we just can't stand up underneath this law system. The law of Moses magnified the reality and the seriousness of sin within the nation of Israel. They knew what God didn't want them to be. But God's chosen people over and over and over again, they couldn't keep themselves pure they couldn't keep themselves holy, and they couldn't keep themselves perfect in standing with the covenant. And for us today, when we read about that, I think we also see ourselves there. Because we can't, we can't make it. Law leads to sin, and sin leads to death. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1, 2, and 3, Paul tells the church there, he says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He says, that's where you were. That's where we were. And among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out all the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Every one of us. The immediate result of sin we think maybe pleasure. At least Hebrews kind of indicates that. He, he tells us there that choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. If sin weren't so fun, 
Nobody would want to do it. But we find it somehow in our own human understanding. It has to be beneficial. It has to be pleasurable. So we do that. But the ultimate consequence of sin is death. And so Paul writes to us there in chapter 5, verse 12. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. And if we have all sinned, what is left for us? Well, Paul's going to tell us in chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of our sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. While verse 21 tells us that sin reigns in death and death is always the winner, wherever sin is present in life of an individual, anyone playing in this game of life in the law arena will always lose. And the penalty for losing is always death. Sin not only rules in the sinner's heart in, in a state of spiritual death, it, it also tyrannically dominates us in the flesh in physical death because none of us can avoid that. But sin's ultimate victory is eternal death. So John writes to us in Revelation chapter 20 and 21 about this eternal death. He says in 20, 14, and 15, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into that lake of fire. And in Revelation 21, 8, it says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's what awaits us in this arena of law. In other words, from that popular song written by Sonny Curtis for the, the group The Crickets that they recorded back in 1960, I fought the law, and the law won. We can't defeat it. So, the good news is this. You don't have to play the game of life in the law arena. You can choose another place to play this game, in the field of grace. So, on the field of grace, you win. But the only way you're going to win is through Jesus Christ, all right? You, you, you don't get to control this arena. This is his arena. This is his field of grace, and there he's the one that's going to assure you a victory, all right? So 1 Corinthians 15, beginning at 55 through 57, Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? He says, the sting of death is what? Sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. So he tells us in verse 20, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Overcame it victoriously. You see, and what he's saying is that, that when there was this increase in our understanding and our consciousness of sin, the true consequences that should lead us to death, we developed this deep sense of a need of grace because we can't do it. So in this sense, the law can almost play a positive role. That's what Paul is going to tell the church over in Galatia. He says, the law was our guardian until Christ came. 
in order that we might be justified how by faith so i need you to listen closely the only point where grace can be found is in jesus nowhere else he is the only one who can guarantee you heaven and life eternal. So let's go back to the nation of Israel for just a moment. This increase of sin is the result of God's purpose to, to ultimately bring peace into our world through Jesus Christ. And so John tells us in, in John chapter 1, verse 17, he says, For the law was given through Moses... Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So at the very place where sin increased, God caused grace to increase all the more. And among the very people whom he gave the law of Moses and caused the trespass of Adam to explode like an atomic bomb, the grace of God exploded even more powerful like the SAR bomb, which is the RDS-220 hydrogen bomb that is so powerful, it is the most powerful weapon our world has ever seen. And it decimates what sin has done, the grace of Jesus. And so, you see, the law itself does have a large part and a purpose in preparation for the coming of the Savior. By increasing our conscious awareness of sin, it increased our sense of need for grace. Because there's no way we're going to win. It increased our sense of need for what he could do for us. And thereby it caused at least some of the Israelites to accept and to welcome Jesus as their Messiah. Because of Jesus Christ, grace, not death, reigns as king. Grace reigns because of the righteousness that is established on the cross by that one act of righteousness in Jesus. That's what 5.18 tells us. And so because grace reigns, everyone who is under grace, not law, wins. We're victorious. And, and we win because under grace we receive this gift of eternal life freely by the one who has the ability to overcome all things. The reign of sin and death is not the final word. Adam is not the victor. Jesus is. Sin reigns in death, and, sin, and it still does not to some degree, but grace is ultimately is going to reign in life and already does to a majority degree for those who put their faith and their trust in Jesus. Grace reigns through righteousness and righteousness of God, which is the content of the gospel message we heard back in chapter 1, verse 17. And that's established by Christ's incomparable atoning sacrifice where he paid the penalty for our sins now when this gift of grace it imputes righteousness to us that we don't deserve and only he does and he bestows it upon every believing sinner sin and death become defeated enemies of god because grace reigns triumphant in eternal life, all because the all-sufficient redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, what he did for us. All human beings are fighting in the same enemy death, and where you fight makes a difference. You can fight, again, like I said, 
and the law arena and try to do everything by obedience to it. Or you can choose home field advantage on the field of grace and let Jesus play the game for you. Back in 1979, there was a movie came out called Alien. In the movie Alien, the conflict was between good and evil, and, and Sigourney Weaver was on the, quote, good side. And the evil was this monstrous alien from outer space that was just destroying everything. And it comes down to the final moments and what's going to happen. Well, she cannot defeat this alien on her own. So she hides inside this robot, which is kind of like a human-shaped form of a robot. And within there, she has the ability to do some things. Now, it, this was designed for some mechanical purpose on the spacecraft, but with its power and its strength that she can hide within and utilize that, she was able to defeat the alien. The same thing is true about us. We are fighting this horrible alien called death and sin. We need to be found hidden in Christ and allow his power and his strength to fight this battle for us. And we will win. So let's just summarize this. The main points of our passage of Scripture as we move from law to arena to the field of grace. Within law, we know it's going to lead us to discover more sin. That's just what it's going to do, which ultimately ends in death. But grace comes into play because we all lived under that system to begin with. All of us, we were sinners. And all of us were headed to death. But grace comes in. And grace then has the ability to make us righteous. Not because we've got the skill. Not because we know all the plays in the book. But because he does. And by his actions, we're covered. And as a result of that, we win in life. So what should we take away this morning? Well, first thing I think is this. God added the law so that the awareness of sin might increase. We know that. The law is our guardian in that, and it helps us to know boundaries. But he wants this awareness of sin to increase in us so that we will discover we have a need for something beyond our own capabilities, and that is we need grace. why there are different things in our world that without grace they rule and dominate it's why the theory of evolution is such a destructive doctrine if there is no creator god then there can be no set standard of order or law by which we live as people and, and therefore no such thing called sin so I can do as I please because there's no law and therefore no such thing as a sense of a need for grace. Freudian psychotherapy also kind of seeks to erase the concept of sin. Someone has summed up the difference between Jesus and Freud. Jesus who says, 
as he healed people, he would say, go and sin no more. Freud would tell them, go and mourn no sin. Don't worry about your sin. God wants grace to increase so that it might defeat sin and death. And then it will reign triumphantly in the end. And that's what he tells us there in verse 21. So where do you want to play in this game of life? I choose to play in the field of grace. Because he's going to do all the work that I know I can't. And even when I fumble, Jesus can pick it up. Even when I strike out, somehow it's a home run. Because he wins. And grace that he supplies for us overcomes all of our trespasses. But we've got to do this by faith. Believing in him. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And is He your Lord and your Savior? Have you died to yourself in order that He might live within you? Have you been buried with Him in baptism in order that you might rise to a new life that is free from the chains of sin and death? And this is your choice. He's offered it to you. Get in the game. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We know that we, we don't even deserve to be on the B team of life. Matter of fact, we should have been cut when tryouts happen because we know that we're going to mess up big time. And sometimes we take others down with us. But Father, your love for us has superseded even our failures. And the grace and the goodness of your son Jesus and what he did for us on the cross is unbelievable. And yet it's so true. And, and the grace can change things for us. Father, help our faith to be real, to be strong, to stand firm in him. And it's in his name that we pray.